You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Okay, it's Friday. Well, actually, it's Wednesday, and you're with me, Jacob, on a Friday rave. I'm broadcasting to you from one of my old hunting grounds, haunting grounds, I should say, Mrs Macquarie's chair outside Sydney, where I've just come from a a rally outside the Supreme Court on behalf of um, families of prisoners. And I'll speak more about that later. But before, um, before that, I'm joined by the wonders of modern technology by um, someone who's no stranger to 3CR, um, anti-nuclear campaigner, long-term. If you don't know him, you should. Um, Dave Swinney, welcome back to 3CR. Thanks very much, Jake. Okay, Dave, we've had um, some issues with Caucus, with AUKUS, um, where we're moving towards nuclear submarines. But, of course, there are a whole lot of other issues as well. It's not just nuclear submarines. Um, a whole raft of problems open up um, for Australian militarism, but primarily for the um, nuclear industry in Australia. Um, what kind of concerns does the environmental lobby have about the move towards nuclear submarines, in a nutshell? Yeah, well, it's a big nut. Um, there are a lot of concerns in there, Jacob. Um, and you're absolutely right. A lot of us are concerned. There's there's a lot of environmental concern about the impact, obviously, of war, militarism. War is a massive environmental impact. There's a lot of environmental concerns about the diversion of money needed for urgent environmental repair and climate action into uh, war fighting plans. But one of the key and specific concerns that many environment groups have is that the nuclear subs idea is a Trojan horse and a stalking horse for expanding a nuclear industry, a civil uh, domestic nuclear Mm -hmm. industry. Um, there's real questions about that. Like people have been asking, like, how can we ensure that nuclear subs don't turn into nuclear subsidies? Um, because there's a lot of one of the things that's happened since the 16th of September when the Prime Minister came out of the blue with that three-way media uh, conference in the announcement that Australia would be acquiring nuclear subs. One of the things that's happened um, is that it has really reanimated uh, a push by a whole range of interests, the Mining, uh, the Minerals Council of Australia, um, the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation, the uh, a really vociferous, loud section of federal and state uh, political parties, mm-hmm. um, you know, to call for domestic nuclear power. And but there is a... All... Sorry, I was going to say, there's also some... Um... I self-styled environmentalists, I believe, calling for nuclear power. A bloke, um, I think, using uh, the irony of the br- bright new world as opposed to brave new world, a bloke by the name of Ben Hurd was talking about introducing a nuclear industry last year and um, come and actually suggesting that we start with nuclear subs. Um, is, but that's even the, nu- the so-called environmental sector talking pro-nuke in some instances. I think yeah, I think the key thing there for for to clarify with you and for listeners to understand is it's is your phrase the so called. Mm. There's no um, there's no significant um, uh, environment organisation um, that is is pro nuclear in Australia and very uh, pretty much that's across the board around the world. Like nuclear 
some uh, environment organisations have, you know, uh, a tech neutral um, position on energy sources. And so they per se don't rule out nuclear. Most do. And most, uh, um, even the ones that are tech neutral uh, for whatever reason, um, uh, the sheer economics and the problems and the waste issues and the security issues and the time delay, cost and time of nuclear rules it out as a credible climate response. So for people to say, oh, environmentalists are now reconsidering nuclear is really, you know, it's a long bow that Robin Hood would be really proud of. Right. They're, main, they're mainly self-appointed environmentalists. Like, I'd like to think that on this planet, everyone's an environmentalist. We, I'd like to think that we all realise that we, we rely on this planet of the natural systems of the planet for the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. Now, that's not the case. A whole bunch of people are just trash the planet and get rich. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, uh, I think the test isn't if a person says they're an environmentalist, the test is, is whether a person's like bedded in uh, a community of interest, an organisation, a movement that is pushing an environmental agenda. And, and the crew that get held up as um, sort of road to Damascus reformed environmentalists don't come from that headspace. You mentioned Ben Hurd. Ben used to describe himself as an as a anti-nuclear leader in Australia until he was questioned by people in the anti-nuclear movement who said, how come we've never seen our leadership at a meeting, at a demo, anywhere? Um, so which he then uh, changed his, uh, his introduction to, I used to be anti-nuclear. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a very different sort of approach um, between what people are saying as individuals or people with a, a technocratic response to climate and what environment groups, which, are, which look at the, the social implications, the cultural and human implications, as well as the environmental implications, we are all pushing for a future that's renewable, not radioactive. Right. Well, that's good news. I mean, I had no doubt, but I wanted, as you say, make it clear to, make it clear to the listeners. Um, but as, as he and others have said, that the nuclear submarines could be a springboard for a nuclear industry, um, what stage, what's like, there's to and fro it in the paper, even in the Australian, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago, there was someone saying it's time right to go nuclear in Australia. The, the Minerals Council, as you say, are saying different things. And the Australian Strategic Policy Institute is, um, is saying similar, that if we're going to have nuclear submarines, we're going to need a nuclear industry Um they're citing, I mean, it really surprised me, they're citing sovereign in interests. Like if we have a fallen out with the United States, we need to service our own submarines. If we have a fallen out with the submarines, with the United States, I believe our submarines will no longer work um, for a start. But how, how much, how serious, how advanced are the plans for a return to the 1950s, 1960s dreams of a nuclear industry for Australia? It is very much that it is very much that madman sort of um, highly stylized return to the past. Um, but yeah, look, there has been a constant strand in Australian energy politics and broader politics about let's go nuclear, either for power or for the nuclear military option. That's there's nothing new there. And in this uh, century, in the last two decades, we've seen a massive, like highly resourced, extensive federal inquiry into going nuclear, which was chaired uh, under John Howard, chaired by Ziggy Switkowski, that recommended 20 reactors by 2050. 
Now Switkowski says those reactors don't make sense for Australia. So it was good that the brakes were put on that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a Royal Commission in South Australia. There's been parliamentary inquiries in New South Wales, Victoria. There's been at least two other federal parliamentary inquiries. There's been no shortage of examinations of the need or the what are the implications of going nuclear much more full bore than we currently are, Jacob. Right. So what's happened is at every stage in those processes, it's come up with, yes, there's these options, but here's these difficulties. And the difficulties are that, you know, high cost, high delay, growth of renewables and cheaper alternatives, and no bipartisan support and no broad social community support or license. Now, those things haven't changed. What's changed now is um, that this, uh, the idea of the, the subs leaping in over the top has then, you know, people say, well, if we're spending $100 billion plus, mm-hmm. and if it's for defence and national security, then that changes previous frameworks of thinking. So the old proponents have grabbed the shell, um, the chassis of a sub, and are trying to use it to be uh, domestic reactors. So that you're absolutely right to um, have identified that there is a reanimated uh, push. You ask, is it a serious push? There's no question that it's a serious push. There's also like very serious opposition. There are a great deal of people that are um, concerned and opposed. There's people that are really, really actively opposed. There's people that remain to be convinced. And there's people that like are asking the question, why would you go there actually if they, if we're already seeing that renewables are four times faster, cheaper and, and quicker to deploy? So there's, there's, more, all... there's more money in there's more money in, in renewables. My understanding is is um, you know investing in the nuclear industry at this stage would be like buying a VHS recorder. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're not talking iPhone, we're talking VHS, or maybe even in the nuclear industry, I'd say Betamax. <laughs> It'd be beta. So um, it, it's really, it really is. A, a lot of people who are pretty, uh, like they, they don't really care about wider issues of where material sourced and the whole of life cycle custody of waste and all those issues that animate many of us and drive our concerns um a lot of people who are just like well i don't really care just give me something that that, that when i flick the switch the the apparatus works their yeah, power yeah. Um, they look at nuclear and um they just look at the cost um and and the sunk cost the high capital cost the long delay um consistently means that the market refuses to invest in nuclear the big end of town has put away its checkbook or its credit card when it comes to reactors. So what people are trying to do is say that this situation changes everything and that because we are talking about nuclear subs, then we need to, and like you said, to service and maintain and to have that capacity, we need to have a a domestic nuclear, a civil industry. So it is very much like the sub is is a... the submarine is a, a warfighting weapon or a vessel whose main claim to fame is stealth. Yeah. And what we're seeing here is a, a really concerted um, push to use that same technique of stealth to come in under the guard and a guard that has been closely maintained, not just by environment groups and Indigenous peoples that are affected by this or by other stakeholders, but a guard that has been maintained by the majority of the Australian community with a deep suspicion of nuclear matters. We don't want a reactor there. Mm. Um, 
And there is a push to, you know, like the Prime Minister surfaced on that, that Thursday morning when he announced AUKUS, <laughs> there's a push by pro-nuke uh, people to surface in the domestic energy debate and say, here's the solution, here's what we've got to do. And it, you see it now, there's strong push, and then, but an equally strong pushback. You know, you've got Twiggy yeah. Forrest, who in many ways is not the greatest friend to the environment movement. In, he's not know, someone we thought we'd be launching a campaign with. He's not a he's not a paid up member of Friends of the Earth, put it that way. But the, the long and short of that is he's out there saying I'm going to spend a billion dollars in Gladstone uh, to promote hydrogen, yeah, and yeah. out there in the conservative press today and in the UK today saying that nuclear doesn't have a part to play in that in Australia's energy future, that yeah. it's high risk and it's high cost. Yeah, that uh, I think that the bottom line the bottom line we have against nuclear is unfortunately the bottom line. You'd, we'd hope that our governments and industry would say, yeah, it's cheap, yeah, it's effective, yeah, it's the easiest way to boil a, a billy of water, um, but it's it's not good for the planet. But instead, I mean, the fact that it's so ex- prohibitively expensive, and look, I imagine the insurance companies wouldn't be um, wouldn't be too keen on underwriting industry in, nu- in nuclear power either, but, but it seems that people are still going there and it's affecting not just... I, I want to touch on a moment on... Um, how much, how insidious and how how wide the tentacles of this nuclear industry are spreading. I noticed um, last week um, or a week before last that a mob called Reengineering Australia have launched a subs in, well, they've had a subs in schools program for a long time, but now they're talking about orcas style um, connections with universities and with schools in the US and the UK. Talking to kids as young as five and six years old about engineering subs. And now they've gone all on board with the nuclear subs. And then over in the ANU, we've got new PhD scholarships on nuclear engineering. And as unfortunately, um, education budgets um, are destroyed, let's use the word, um, in favour of things like militarism, it falls more and more on corporations to fill the research vacuum in our universities. We're seeing all over the all over Australia companies like Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin building huge presences on every major campus. I think, with the exception of the Australian Catholic University, for some for some reason, although I don't know of it's an ethical position. Um, now, how 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 is that like the nuclear scholarships coming out of the ANU? Um, have you heard much about that? Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting observation, and it's a really deep concern. It's a deep concern in this space about the nuclear space and the subs and all of that, but it's broader. Like for years, we've seen um, a really concerted um, education program, schools program, all that sort of stuff from the resource sector. Rio Tinto, BHP um, have just routinely inserted material into the syllabus um, right around the country about resources and that sort of stuff. Recently, there's been a, a bit of a furor in WA uh, where Woodside um, were having this, uh, you know, basically designing um, this school curriculum stuff for primary school kids about their breakfast foods um, and different mineral commodities. And it was like, cut your toast um, you know, as you would for, you know, this one's this and this one's that. And, and a lot of teachers just um, um, bird up about that. It was a bridge too far. But mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Like 
ANSTO, the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation, has a big school uh, and education outreach. Their school groups go through the public part of that reactor complex um, and their facility at Lucas Heights routinely. Mm -hmm. They have all sorts of stuff. They had an ANSO in, like they've been at the Kimber Primary School in regional South Australia um, on an exercise, which has just been basically about softening people up to a potential um, national radioactive waste facility. And it's a highly, it's a highly politicised and divisive debate. And to, and to do that with the imprimatur of authority and independence, when you're clearly not, when you're clearly engaged and you've clearly got an advocacy mm. and you're driving stuff and you're getting a material benefit, to do that in, like you said, like school context, is um, it really breaches that sort of trust that parents have that your school is like a yeah. reasonably politically neutral space, even though yeah. we know that, you know, that's a, that's a sort of suspect notion anyway. Never but, is, but they, they're selling it on, be, on, you know, on the grounds of STEM education, science, yeah. technology, engineering and maths. And, like, and I could understand, um, you're a parent, I'm a parent, if our kid was, you know, in late primary or early high school and they're offered this project to take an advanced STEM subject and there's no government funding and they're um, corporations funded, I mean, you and I, of course, would say no if it was Saab or ANSTO, but um, I can imagine your average punter who... Who might even be anti-nuclear, um, in the in the broad sense, um, would find a hard time saying no to those kind of educational um, possibilities yeah. for their yeah. kids. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, they come in and they promise a lot, and they offer opportunities and resources. Um, yeah. And in constrained times, um, teachers are busy, schools are broke, things are being cut down, and suddenly there's a pathway to get something useful and an opportunity that could be exciting and open up for kids. So you take and, it. Like in the same way that this is that that it takes away resources, finances from industries that, you know, for repairing environmental damage. It's also, I guess, channeling our youngest and brightest minds from a very early age towards working for the nuclear and military complex. Yeah. And to also uh, at least legitimizing these things and trying to ring fence them from public scrutiny and debate. But you know what uh, is is our is Australia's extractive industry performing well on the ground and generating community benefit? So that's a really important discussion and debate. What's the performance like on the ground? Who benefits? What are the most impacted environments and communities done to to get some benefit and some repair? Now we don't have those debates because we just have cheer squad uh, driven uh, chance for large resource corporations, yeah. and we're really concerned that this will be the same for nuclear, the same template being rolled out. And we're also really concerned that this will be the same for like those big arms manufacturers, like you've said. Um, yeah. in, in, another, in another world I, I'm involved with, um, ICANN, you know, the International yeah. Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And one of the things that we're really concerned in in that space is the number of nuclear weapons corporations that, like you said earlier, are directly setting up high level um, bilateral relationships with, with universities um, and absolutely doing that. They're both legitimising their stuff and they're using people who have come through a public school, like they're what, skimming the cream of the crop as they see it, yes. to go into the most destructive of industries. Because when you strip away all the language of assets and capabilities and strategic challenges, what we're coming down to is the maintenance of power at the, at the preparedness to destroy. Um, yeah. That's what war fighting and particularly nuclear war fighting plans are. Like 
there's a there's a legitimate role and then there's a illegitimate role for yeah mass you're listening murder. to a friday um, rave and, with me you know, jacob we, here we on community really radio lines are being blurred. so just and to I'm take a big leap back to the question of, you asked about how to take this nuclear this latest nuclear push i think it's really important for listeners to understand don't take my word for it take a little bit of time do a little bit of a browse but none of the of the concerns the cost the delay the waste the weapons the proliferation and safety and security risks and then the fukushima style fallout from yep. from everyday operation to a major meltdown none of the concerns that have driven anti-nuclear um opposition very effective opposition to the nuclear industry in this country have been resolved and i believe that none of them or at least the vast bulk of them are not resolvable they are fundamentally hardwired into a flaw in the technology and the approach yes um, and so none of the criticisms have changed the marketing has been dressed up from energy too cheap to meter in the 1950s to this is essential now for low carbon for the 85-90% of the world's rare earth and critical minerals. Um, and obviously, if your number one enemy in the, in the US worldview is China, um, you need to avoid that degree of dependency. Yes. Australia is, is um, blessed, or maybe a less, uh, more neutral term is Australia has considerable reserves mm. of critical minerals the lithiums and cadmiums, but also of lots of the rare earths, uh, which are important for defence and communications, high-tech defence and communications. Um, there is a new critical minerals uh, unit within, um, like, government, like, heavily influenced by Prime Minister and Cabinet, and whose job is to secure all those things, supply chains, arrangements, yep. take-off arrangements with the US, et cetera, et cetera. And that is seen as a really important role. So I think from America, from the US perspective, we, we are moving into, in their eyes, a 21st century version of, um, of uh, quarry and waste dump. And it's basically new generation quarry and not so much waste dump as uh, aircraft carrier, a place where you can base your hardware. Lily pads, they call them. Um, agile combat employments. We now we, we we now fall into the category of for the United States military. We're an ace. An ace. Ace. It's not the anti-nuclear collective, yeah. mate. It's the agile combat engagement or employment. Yeah, yeah but any, anyway, certainly, Dave, I, I certainly prefer the the Friends of the Earth uh, definition of that one to, yes, to the federal governments or the military's one. But yeah, I suppose long and short, as ever, Jake. Um, eternal vigilance, eternal action, optimism, hope, and certainty—not not arrogance. Certainty, certainty. That, that the that, that the the path we're on is one that reduces military threat and increases environmental protection, and that's got to be preferable. Okay, thank you, Dave. You've been hearing Dave Sweeney on a Friday rave. <laughs> 
that's about all we've got time for today. Um, don't know what I'll be talking to you about next Friday, but next Friday, yeah, I do know what I'll be talking to you about next Friday because just prior to doing the interview with um, Dave Sweeney on Wednesday, I was at a rally at the Supreme Court in New South Wales supporting the families of prisoners who were actually taking the um, Corrections Department of New South Wales to the Supreme Court over their, how can I put it, over their failure to act correctly towards prisoners during the COVID pandemic. So I'll do a bit of a report of that next week. Um, On Thursday, the 4th of November, renegade activists are having another raucous anti-orcus caucus, and you can find out the details of how to get on, how to get a ticket, where to listen, and all the rest of the palaver at renegadeactivists.org, or, of course, through Renegade Activist or a Friday Rave's social media pages. That's all for now. (laughs) 